Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I am the editor-in-chief, sure, I'm going to say in uh, in authority at uh, gestaltit.com. And joining me is my co-host, the networking nerd himself, Tom Hollingsworth. Tom, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Rich. If you're the editor-in-chief, does that make me the chief in need of edits? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, it's uh, disgraceful, and I've been meaning to talk to you about it. Uh, we've got a full lineup this week, lots of exciting stuff, and of course, it wouldn't be the Gestalt, Gestalt IT Rundown without some security exploits. Yay! Uh, this one coming from the open source world, the developers of the CMS Drupal, you may have heard of it, warned of an exploit that would let attackers gain access and modify data just by visiting the site. Luckily, it's not too pervasive. It only affects Drupal 8, 7, and 6, so it looks like the exploit is about 10 years old. Uh, it seems to be based on how Drupal accepts request parameters. Uh, these generally come in as array objects, which I'm told are a thing. And uh, developers found that these could be passed through to the Drupal core uh, with a payload without prior sanitization. Basically, visit the site. You can uh, exploit some stuff. A security patch is available for affected versions, and the developers were quick to note that you would basically need to reformulate the entire way that the CMS is deployed to not have to use the security patch. So why don't you go ahead and patch it up? Um, Tom, this seems like pretty much the worst thing that could happen to your CMS. Um, anything strike you uh, with the way the, like, is this indicative of a larger trend the way it was using array objects? Hold on a second. I'm going to read from the prepared statement here. <laughs> um, we can't believe that something like this would ever happen, and we're so, so sorry that we exposed all of your data to the rest of the world, and yeah, we're going to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that being said, uh, yeah, this is pretty. This is pretty bad. I, and the fact that it only in, involves old versions means either they're moving way too fast in development, and and this was just a, a baked-in code thing that people found. And before you say, oh yeah, well it's only ten years old, um, I want you to go onto your desktop and find out what the oldest application you happen to still be running is, and if it is not old enough to vote, you might be in the majority here, or I'm sorry, the minority. <laughs> Well, and, you know, a CMS is not something that you can very lightly um, just do a, a forklift uh, shift over on. So I'm willing to bet there are a ton of really old uh, Drupal installs mm -hmm. out there that no one's really touched that because it works. Why would we ever touch it? So, exactly. uh, yeah, uh, make sure you're make sure you're patched up, folks. That's pretty scary stuff. Uh, up next. A data leak. Yay. We've had some recent debate on whether these are data leaks, data exploits, um, knowledge of data visibility. This actually seems to be uh, uh, the latter here. Um, uh, Krebs on Security reported that Panera Bread, the purveyor of carbs, leaked the names, addresses, birthdays, and partial credit card numbers for up to 7 million customers uh, on their site in plain text. The leak was initially reported to Panera in August 2017, which, if you're looking at your calendar, is not now, but after eight months, still persisted on the site. Uh, when Cred published their story on this, Panera took down the website, and within two hours, all the information was removed. So, I mean, good on them for responding to that. However, then they went on Fox News and tried to downplay it and say there were only 10,000 records when it's clearly evidenced in a lot of the security reporting that there were a lot more uh, information out there. Tom, this is nothing new, uh, and then, sadly, it's not going to be anything new when the next company does it, whether it's Target, whether it's Panera, uh, whether it's the desiccated corpse of Toys R Us. Uh, 
it's going to be someone that's going to have another massive data leak. And I feel like this is just an in, like an entire industry, IT, in need of best practices. Like I can just hear uh, Karen Lopez, if you're not following her, at DataCheck, uh, probably has some thoughts on this. I was just talking to her yesterday about this, and it was still too new uh, for her to really nail down uh, the particulars of the story. But it, it just seems to me that the entire industry is has no idea how to deal with data on the Internet. I feel like I should read from the prepared statement again, because it pretty much just says everything we need to say. You, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and when you look at what happened, if you read Krebs's article, I mean, first of all, when the guy called them and said, hey, you've got a whole bunch of records that are being exposed. The first thing I thought was this is a scam. And, and then it wasn't a scam. And then they were trying to fix it. And then they didn't fix it. And then, oh, look, the press got involved. And now all of a sudden we've got it fixed, which, by the way, Krebs's article is hilarious because the way that they fixed it initially they put a login up so that you had to log in to be able to see the records. So if you were a user, you could still see the records, which um, if I'm not mistaken, was somewhere north of 7 million. First of all, that's a lot of Asiago cheese sandwiches. And second of all, you know, you realize this is something that's been that people have started realizing when they, the, the whole thing with Facebook and, and all the other companies who are exposing data everywhere, you really don't realize how much data people are collecting on you. And we, we're at the point now where we're going to start having to have data hygiene classes. Don't just share everything that you have. When you sign up for a loyalty card, make up some fake information. I can specifically remember some funny conversations that I had with some people in the security realm. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I always fill out the security questions, but I have to remember my answers in a password uh, keeper because the answer to my mother's maiden name is purple monkey dishwasher. And the people on the other end of the phone are like, that's correct. That It's completely baffling. It does make me wonder. I'm not a fan of having gatekeepers for these kind of things, but it does, it almost seems to beg for some sort of trusted intermediary between these companies that clearly have, don't have a, the proper financial incentives in place to take adequate care of your data. Um, uh, what was the, uh, what Equifax is that? Yeah, that was the right company, right yeah. credit agency mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> does not have the, the financial incentives in place to adequately take care of data. So I am wondering, like, is this something where I don't want a Facebook single sign on, but maybe uh, one of the, the password managers, like a last pass or something like that comes in as your trusted, you know, you don't you never give Panera your information, but you trust LastPass to then be the funnel through that. But I know that brings up a single point of failure and that's always a problem. But at some point. I, I want to be able to trust one person that maybe has some transparency into how they're handling data versus, you know, faceless company that I'm going to have absolutely no recourse on this. I'm going to be responsible for having to make sure that, you know, uh, no sensitive information uh, out, you know, like no one's ordering Asiago ch uh, cheese sandwiches on my behalf from Panera for years on end. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Luckily, I'm not angry about it, folks. All right, in the Win in Microsoft world, a giant uh, reorganization of Windows. This is not the first uh, Windows reorg. I think there's been four major ones in the last five years. But uh, as Sachamania continues to live strong, um, Windows seems to uh, be uh, being scattered to the wind a little bit. Uh, Microsoft announced a major reorg of Windows, essentially splitting it among various other departments. Windows, uh, longtime Windows chief Cherry Meyerson is leaving the company. I think he's taking an advisory role, but basically uh, they're setting him out to pasture. Uh, the core Windows development is being moved to their cloud and AI divisions. Meanwhile, Windows apps, features, and UI developments will take place uh, in the new experiences and devices division, which, if you were paying attention, is the rename of the Windows and devices division. 
and this will house Windows, Office, and Surface. So a little bit of you know, um, a little bit of a shell game there in terms of the name, but I think indicative of a larger trend. Clearly, Windows is less core to Microsoft's business, but how, uh, you know, how big of a deal is this split? I don't know. How big of a deal is it when everybody's running something and they don't even know what version of an operating system that they're running? I mean, yeah, it used to be a big deal whenever you're like, I'm running Windows 7 with Service Pack 1, or, you know, I'm running uh, OS 10.6 or what have you. Now I challenge you. Uh, do you even know the code name of the version of OS 10 you're running anymore? Nobody cares. It's operating systems something? are just yeah. Mountain, mountain. Yeah, it's named after a mountain, maybe. Um, the as the operating system becomes less and less important, and this all starts moving into the background. I mean, Sachi's got it nailed. I mean, I was just writing an article today about software as a service applications, and it just dawned on me we don't use the computer anymore as an operating system. We use it as a portal to get to SaaS applications like Office 365, which is their big cash cow. So nobody cares. That's the end of the deal. I mean, yeah, thanks to Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer, Windows is the king, right? Well, I, I think I set this out in a tweet earlier this week. Satya realized you can't fix Windows with a hatchet. You have to do it with a scalpel. And now he's burying Windows where it belongs in the, you know, in the the support structure of what he's trying to build. It, it is interesting. I mean, we, we're already in like a the weird world of Windows 10 is the last version of Windows. You know, I mean, it's constantly being updated, but also the last version of Windows, theoretically, that you're ever going to install. Um, I, I do wonder if at some point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It completely fades into the background. It's just it's just a runtime basically to put applications on top of is is a weird situation. It's so weird to me that even 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago, I mean, Microsoft just seems so unassailable uh, and Windows just seemed to be this gorilla that would never die. And, you know, maybe Sacha is, you know, doing this to shake things up. Maybe he's doing this um, you, you know, it, it's the classic thing of, uh, you know, how do you turn a battleship when, you know, like Windows is still profitable, like they're still making money off of Windows, still make money out of selling one-time uh, licenses for Office, uh, but then, you know, having the, uh, you know, I guess the intestinal fortitude to kind of move over to a new model, maybe it's not proven yet. Uh, very interesting. Clearly, the uh, Office 365 stuff is working out, so we'll see uh, if this uh, change to Windows uh, will pay off in time as well. Yeah, here's hoping. All right. And finally, we have uh, kind of a big story coming out of the Apple Whisperer uh, from Bloomberg. Mark Gurman, he's reporting that Apple plans to use their own chips in Macs as early as 2020. Uh, this wouldn't be a wholesale uh, uh, replacement of all uh, Intel CPUs, uh, but it would be a multi-stage rollout. Uh, the end result having uh, Macs and uh, iOS devices working more closely together. Uh, Bloomberg estimates that Apple uh, provides uh, up to 5% of Intel's revenue. Uh, and I was looking up some of the numbers from IDC, and uh, as of 2017, Macs make up about 7% of overall PC shipments last year. Uh, it was reported that Apple is already working on a project to have iOS run apps, excuse me, to have iOS apps run on macOS, so not entirely surprising. Uh, kind of, I, I wanted to parallel this to what we saw end of last year uh, and just starting to see the devices of early this year with uh, the first wave of uh, Windows on ARM devices kind of coming out from OEMs. Uh, and Tom, I'm wondering, what do you think is the bigger deal here? Um, Apple kind of going all in-house for chips going forward uh, or, you know, kind of Windows losing the Wintel uh, monopoly that's dominated it for so long? Well, Intel, Intel is the 800-pound gorilla that suddenly found out the forest got cut out from underneath them. Um, 
you knew this was coming. I mean, there were there were not so subtle hints that have been dropped for the last couple of years. I mean, I'm currently using one of the new USB-C MacBooks, and the reason why it took so long to come out is because Intel basically told Apple, we can't give you the processors that you need and the quantities that you need to put out a new MacBook line. Do you really want to go to one of your biggest consumers of chips and go, yeah, we know you want a lot of them, but we can't give them to you? I think I know what your answer would be. Fine, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. And that's what they did. You do, and, and not only that, like if you're Asus or if you're, you know, I'm going to dredge up a name from the past. If you're Gateway 2000, you don't make chips. You make computers. Apple makes chips. Well, they farm it out to most people. But I mean, come on. Do you think Samsung is really going to be um, telling Apple they don't want to take on another, you know, 400,000 to a million fabs for making chips that are going to go into these computers? Samsung will be throwing money at them. You know why? Because then they can become the dominant chip manufacturer and Intel will fade off into obscurity. Now, there is a big problem, and you did bring it up, is the reason why Windows RT and Windows on ARM failed spectacularly this last time had absolutely nothing to do with the platform. It had absolutely everything to do with the software. You had two different app stores running two different copies of the apps because you can't recompile x86 software to run on ARM right now because there's no demand for it. Nobody cares. Guess what? Now they're going to care. Now you're going to start seeing companies that are going to be shaking the tree as fast as possible to get developers to rewrite all of the stuff to run on Apple's new ARM-based chips. And what you're going to get is a huge ARM ecosystem that's going to compete with Intel. And if everybody is going down that road, it's not looking good for people who are doing legacy stuff. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, the knock-on effect of everyone trying to emulate Apple. And if they move over to ARM, like just cognitively, I think, yeah, you'll see a lot of people following along. We're, are, we're just starting to see the first, I think they're running Snapdragon 835s, and I knew the, no, the new Qualcomm 845s are coming out as well, um, that are supposed to be better optimized for doing some kind of x86 emulation. It's still going to be terrible, like whenever you do that. But absolutely, yeah, it, it, once developers are kind of used to developing desktop quality apps uh, on ARM, I, I think it, it it's not trivial, but it's a lot uh, it's a lot easier than uh, going from you know from iOS on ARM to you know Windows on x86. There's there's a shorter bridge there for sure. The other mm -hmm. thing is you know spinning up uh, additional fabs or, or additional capacity for these for switching over to Macs is relatively trivial because they're selling like an order of magnitude more iOS devices than they are Mac devices right now. So it, it's really just. Uh, uh, you know, if, theoretically, if they're all using the same architecture and that kind of stuff, they're not making distinct, more powerful chips uh, for the desktop and, and laptop stuff. I, I could see that adding capacity is like absolutely no issue for them either. So I, it will be interesting to see how Intel responds. I mean, obviously, they've, you know, they they haven't been, a play, they've been able to be competitive in the mobile space. I think they're making some interesting moves in IoT uh, going forward, obviously, on the very high end. The server market isn't going anywhere anytime soon, despite all of the, you know, uh, servers on ARM press releases we see all the time. And they're cool, uh, but, you know, Intel kind of is is locked in there. But, uh, yeah, this uh, this doesn't seem good, certainly at all. And the stock market is bearing that out. I think they were down uh, around uh, 7 or 8% uh, in stock price, like their single biggest day dip uh, in the past couple of years. So very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, and finally, Tom, this is a little bit up your alley. Uh, Cloudflare, Cloudflare, geez, uh, words are hard, launched a DNS resolver at the network address of 1.1.1.1. 
designed to be uh, privacy-focused, is being run in conjunction with APNIC Labs, a regional internet registry in Asia. Uh, APNIC uh, will uh, be able to access DNS query data from anybody using the resolver, uh, but will not log any IP addresses associated with those queries. Uh, this data will ostensibly be destroyed as soon as statistical analysis is done. I'm interested to see what kind of transparency they have around what that destruction method is. Uh, but essentially, this would blind ISPs to your DNS query info. Uh, ordinarily, uh, ISPs can go ahead and market that uh, in any way that they want as part of your terms of service. Uh, some ISPs, you know, kind of market themselves to avoid that, but I'm assuming all of the big boys do that as a matter of course. Uh, the Resolver will also offer a couple other privacy-focused uh, uh, features, uh, DNS over TLS, DNS over HTTPS, uh, query minimalization, and, quote, aggressive negative answers, uh, which I don't know, but sounds like a sweet punk name. Uh, and so basically, Tom, I'm wondering what your thoughts on this, uh, you know, a privacy-focused DNS. I know Google DNS was hot stuff probably about a little less than 10 years ago. Uh, I tried it out, and I think I bricked my router for a couple days and pissed off my parents. Um, so is Cloudflare DNS a big deal? Um, yeah, first of all, props to Cloudflare for launching a DNS service that is based on four ones on April 1st. <laughs> Second greatest April Fool's joke of all time, Gmail, I'm looking at you. Um, no, this this is actually the best possible solution for a train wreck. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to give you a little inside baseball into the internet, way the internet's numbered. Um, you have to announce a route in order for it to be reachable. So when people want to go to google.com, that's a certain uh, a set of IP addresses that is globally announced to the world. Yeah, guess what people used whenever they needed a fake number? Give you a hint, one dot, one dot, yeah. Everybody used 1.1.1.1 as their fake address space. And that's one of the reasons why we've never seen it being announced. Every time that Abnick tried to announce it to the rest of the world, they got flooded with garbage queries. <laughs> I mean, um, wire, Cisco wireless LAN controllers use 1.1.1.1 as the default captive portal. Um, Cisco ASAs use 1.1.1.1 as the default failover address. Um, the number of people that have been reporting this week that they're trying to use um, Cloudflare's DNS and they're starting to see blocks. I mean, uh, Swift on Security tweeted that there was an up upstream service provider that was doing dumb things with it as well. Um, it's actually, if I'm not mistaken, 1.1.1.1 is in uh, Team Comrie's Bogon filter. So you're going to have to go figure that out too. Um, it's brilliant though, because you can now use that address for something useful and APNet gets to figure out, okay, who's been using this for bogus stuff all this time? Who's been announcing it improperly and how can we fix this? So it's the best of both worlds. And plus, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna get swamped with traffic that nobody else can deal with, who better to do it than Cloudflare? It, it, is there any concern that uh, you know I, I'm not familiar with APNIC? Um, and I, I, I was surprised the the lack of pushback. I think the register was the only one that. I mean, I I, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> sometimes they can be a little snarky. Um, you know, saying who would have you know, thought <laughs> that Cloudflare DNS won't share your your query info with anybody except for people they think they can trust. Is there any concern with that, or you know, uh, being a a registry? Uh, uh, you know, it seems like they're purely a research arm, uh, and being a local internet registry. It, is there any concern with that at all? No, APNIC is just like Aaron or Afrinic or Lacnic or any of the other regional re regional internet registrars (RIRs). They are in the business of selling IP address space. They don't care. Their customers are not you. So remember how we've always had this discussion, if you're not paying for it, you're not the, pro you're not the customer, you're the product. Well, in this case, you're not their customer. You know who their customer is? Level three, 
your local ISP, anybody who needs to announce address space globally to the world, they don't care about you. You are just a user to them. So they're not gonna sell your address information because let's be fair, if they wanted to do that, they would have done it already. Seeing as how they have all of it. <laughs> that's a, that's an awesome point, Tom. Um, so are you gonna be switching over to Cloudflare DNS uh, at home? I actually did on Monday and so far it seems to be working fairly well. And um, I haven't had any real issues with it. Um, latency is about where I expect it to be. Um, kids haven't complained, so I guess the Xbox still works. Have you noticed any, I've heard some people report that could theoretically speed up your connection because they're doing less logging or something like that. Have you seen any speed increases at all? Noticeable? Uh, not noticeable, but the speed increases, I believe Jeff Wilson, who's one of our cloud field day delegates this week, uh, did some charting on it. Um, he was testing it on Monday before he came out to the event and he saw that uh, compared to IBM's 9.9.9.9, um, the speed increases over Google are fairly good on the order of, you know, cutting the number of milliseconds in half from like 30 to 15 or something like that, but they're both pretty comparable. So um, mm -hmm. test both. Um, I, I would recommend though doing the research because if you try to pull another address out of your, out of your hat, like 3.3.3.3, that may not work. <laughs> so always make sure that you're using a proper address space uh, that's going to respond to DNS queries, but yeah, play around with them because the nice thing is, is that with DNS um, it can be switched out fairly quickly and um, you can do your testing. Just remember if you do, um, leave it in place for about three, four days for your testing because you need your DHCP leases to expire. And people that live at home don't do this um, and not know how to fix it and not tell your parents before you do it. Um, personal exactly. experience. Um, the, the other thing is, so in terms of privacy, are, are you reasonably, uh, were, were the privacy protocols that they're implementing on top of you know basically not looking at your DNS queries or anything like that, does that seem satisfactory to you? And what other steps do you think people should take if they're super concerned about, you know, privacy online, the, the security of their connection uh, uh, in terms of their ISP kind of looking at that? Is there any other other than maybe using a VPN? Yeah, VPN is probably going to be the, the quickest, easiest, although just let me bring this up. You are if you're using a VPN, don't just assume that it's making you secure by default. All it's doing is changing the terminus point for your traffic. So you, you went, you basically traded your ISP, ISP for somebody else's and make sure you know where the terminal point of that VPN is. If it terminates somewhere that you don't like, say, I don't know, Russia, guess what? You're going to run into other problems. So <laughs> think through your process. And honestly, if you're wanting to hide that much traffic, you might want to consider having some kind of shared colo facility in Europe where GDPR is probably going to be uh, a better solution for you than anything you're going to see over here. I'm not worried about DNS query traffic, to be honest with you. I'm mm -hmm. more worried about the services that I'm querying DNS against, like Google and Facebook. Solid words, Tom, and I appreciate you giving me some context for this. I'm going to have to try this out this weekend, uh, assuming I have any time. That just about does it for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, remember, we do this every Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, unless we don't, in which case we'll let you know on Twitter, uh, at Gestalt IT, if there's any changes to that. We try and keep it uh, pretty tight, though, every week. Uh, if you want to find more about our great stuff, you can go to gestaltit.com. Uh, we have all sorts of coverage there. I actually posted a uh, article uh, yesterday uh, kind of asking the question, should Apple offer a VPN? 
And spoiler, the answer, I think, is yes. I wrote an email to Tim Cook. I expect to be getting some credit for that any day now. Uh, it should be fun times. Uh, the other thing you can do is uh, check us out on Twitter. I'm at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology, for all sorts of uh, rants, uh, humorous observations, and otherwise. And you can find Tom at Networking Nerd, uh, no special spelling, Camel Case, if you want to be fancy. Uh, Tom, anything else uh, we should let people know about? Oh, yes. Uh, if you want to check out, uh, Tom mentioned Cloud Field Day. Uh, go to techfieldday.com. We're live streaming Cloud Field Day Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. Uh, we have a ton of uh, presentations. We have 10 companies, including two top secret companies uh, to check out there. Uh, lots of good cloudy stuff if that's your bag. Uh, Tom, anything I forget? No, I think you got it all, Rich. Nailed it. All right, we'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, have a super sparkly day.